My name is Joe Henderson. Um, I'm a faculty member here in Environment and Society. Um, I have the privilege of teaching a class called Soch 200, Social Issues. Um, every spring, spring, we've been recording a podcast that is a discussion of social issues in the United States um, and globally, but then also like how those things impact us on campus. Um, I'm recording this first uh, episode over Zoom because I'm currently hanging out at home with COVID. So um, one thing to say, I guess, just to the general audience about this um, podcast is that we're, we're going to switch the format up a little bit. Um, Bridget is going to be taking the controls of some of this from time to time, and will be doing interviews and really kind of making it their own um, in terms of the broader kind of Bobcast podcast. We um, we have expanded and relaunched Apollos, the news and literary magazine. And so th this will live there. And this is the first kind of formal episode of 2023. So um, I am here with Wesley and Carson. Um, I will let them introduce themselves. And then we're going to have a conversation about poverty um, and wealth inequality and and have some discussion about that for about 20 minutes or so. So go. Yeah. Uh, hi, um, I'm Carson. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm an environmental science major um, and involved with a bunch of different stuff on campus, um, sports, uh, clubs, president of Pride Club right now, um, lots of other cool things. I'm Wesley, my pronouns are he, him. I'm also an environmental science major. I'm in three different sports and various clubs as well. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yes. Uh, so our main topic today is um, with uh, poverty and inequality, um, which is a, a very large issue, sort of uh, not necessarily the basis for everything going on in our country right now, but sort of permeates everything just a little bit. Um, uh, so the first thing we have to talk about is what is the poverty line? So the poverty line is what the government determines living in poverty is classified as. Every year, the government um, sets a poverty line or adjusts a poverty line to encapsulate what a family of four would need to feed themselves for a year. And they multiply that times three to cover all the expenses that that family also needs to cover. However, there are a lot of issues with this poverty line where it really underscores poverty and is incredibly controversial. It doesn't encapsulate what poverty is or what we'd depict poverty as uh, socially. So it's it makes it seem like less of an issue in our country than it really is. Uh, another big issue with that is it's that poverty line is set nationally. Um, and whether you're above or below that poverty line can determine your access to certain programs and things. Um, so with that poverty line being set nationally, you have various costs of living throughout the entire uh, entire nation. Um, think uh, comparison of like, um, you know, way out in the Midwest, uh, Oklahoma, that co cost of living there is gonna be way different than it is in, you know, downtown Manhattan in New York City. Um, and in both of those places, the the poverty line, the place where you uh, that sort of economic barrier that you determine whether or not you're in poverty is the same. So a couple of things just as a social scientist to talk about here, poverty looks different in different countries for the reasons you just articulated. 
um, and different countries have different ways of quote unquote measuring poverty. Um, the 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 metric that the U.S. uses has not changed in decades, and so a lot of social scientists argue, myself included, that that actual lived poverty is way higher in this country than our measurements say. Um, and so, you know, a family of four living on like twenty thousand dollars a year or something is that's not much money at all, um, even in a place where the cost of living is low. So um, there's you know, there's there's often pressure for politicians to keep the poverty uh, numbers low because it makes them look good, right? If you if you change those numbers, then all of a sudden you have way more people in poverty, and then you got to like do something about that, right? So, um, it's just part of this is is um, socially um, organized um, to to shape policy or responses to, and I should say too, like for people who've never thought about poverty. Like poverty is a function of capitalism. It it it's capitalism is an economic system that that produces hierarchy and it produces uh, economic or a class based hierarchy. So some people have more, some people have less, and that has to do with the distribution of um, money and wealth in the society and who has access to that money and wealth. Different countries do it differently, and so. Um, you know, there's there are full fully communist countries that move their wealth around in very different ways, and then there are um, mixed economies like the Scandinavian countries where they they spend a lot of money on public services, taking care of homelessness, things like that. So it looks different in different countries, and there's that's just interesting to think about as well. So. We'd like to use this podcast time to discuss with you our personal experiences. Um, interacting with poverty and wealth inequality. So if Carson, you'd like to take that away first. Yeah. Um, growing up, I was uh, lucky enough and fortunate enough to grow to grow up uh, pretty com comfortably um, uh, in a very um, rural area uh, west of um, Rochester, New York, which is sort of uh, middle of the, the state-ish. Um, and uh, grew up very comfortably. And I had a lot of experiences um, through my church, uh, traveling um, to the inner city of Rochester uh, to a number of different places, but one of them was called uh, St. Joseph's House of Hospitality. Um, and while we were there, uh, we were uh, would always make um, goulash for lunch um, and serve uh, on average between uh, 40, um, 40 to 60 people um, every time we went. Um, and that soup kitchen was open um, every day for lunch um, and it was not only, uh, you know, homeless people that came in, um, but it was also, you know, low income people who had low income that were coming in just to, you know, get food. Like there'd be people, um, you know, that you'd think of um, as homeless with, you know, the, um, you know, clothing that's not necessarily in the best condition. But um, but there would also be people that came in and, you know, business suits and things um, on their lunch break because they weren't able to afford lunch to bring to their jobs. Um, so that, um, those experiences for me were, um, not only, you know, that sort of personal connection and breaking down the, the sort of cultural idea of, um, you know, homeless people as the other, um, but also, um, you know, changing the ideas that poverty is just, um, has one way of looking, um, and, and it, it really doesn't, um, and those experiences, um, you know, really, I mean, to, to, to grasp um, the sort of the people that were 
dealing on a daily basis with these with these issues um, and the way that they best thought um, to solve those issues uh, existing in, uh, within them. Hey, Carson, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, of course. So I'm familiar with St. Joseph's having lived in Rochester and my, my wife actually was a clinician there. She, she, was, um, she, she did medical care there as well. Um, and so oftentimes these people were also were working people, right? Like full working, mm -hmm. like so working full time, but still in poverty, right? Like, yeah, just, it's interesting to think about that, right? Like oftentimes we tell this very moral narrative in the U.S. of like, well, if people are in poverty, there must be something wrong with them, right? And and like that actually couldn't be further from the truth. Like I grew up in poverty. My dad worked his butt off. Um, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, we were still in poverty because the thing that we didn't have was money. He just didn't make enough mm -hmm. money. And so like he was working really, really hard. There are a lot of people who work really, really hard and still are in poverty. Or there are people who for one reason or another, mental illness or um, or physical illness can't work. And so what are the implications of that as well? You know, the you think about soldiers who come home from war with mental trauma, um, and and the implications of that uh, in terms of people's ability to work. And so, it's um, Carson, you 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 said you lived in one of the kind of like nicer suburbs outside of Rochester. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. Um, I lived uh, and went to high school um, in Churchville, which is um, a fairly high income area for the west of Rochester. Yeah, my my PhD advisor used to live in in Chilai, Churchville or Chilai, one of those, and um, no, sorry, Scottsville, which is close. And um, mm -hmm. but anyway, uh, it's nice out there, right? And like you don't you yeah. don't necessarily. One of the things um, in geography, like we talk about, like spatial segregation, and and like Rochester is such an interesting place for this because it has a really steep wealth gradient. The suburbs of Rochester, very wealthy places, mostly white places mm -hmm. and then you go to the east side of the city or the northwest quadrant of the city um and uh and those are places where you have a lot of poverty and it's very racialized as well you have a kind of racial segregation there too so <clears throat> i think a lot of people move around in their daily lives and aren't necessarily aware of how other people live both mm -hmm. both rich or poor right yeah um, another interesting thing about Rochester is not only do you have sort of the low low income in the city um, and then that higher income sort of ring uh, around the edges is that once you get, you know, further west of places um, like Churchville, uh, out into town, smaller uh, farming towns like Holly or Hamlin, um, the, you know, the income, average income there drops again. So there's this kind of um, not a sweet spot isn't the right word. It's the only one I can think of for sort of, um, you know, that's where all of the money is, and then you get out past that or one direction or the other, um, and and there's not a lot of income for for uh, some very interesting reasons that I don't quite know. Yeah, so so I grew up rural poor, and I think what you're talking about is actually rural poverty, and mm -hmm. rural poverty is similar to urban poverty. It just looks different, and it has kind of different reasons, but different reasons for it but yeah i mean there's um you know poverty there are poverty there's poverty in the suburbs i taught um middle school at rush henrietta when i lived out there and um we had a lot of poverty in henrietta as well and so yeah. the suburbs um 
the suburbs tend to be a place of privilege hoarding. That's the that's the term I would use as a social scientist. Um, but but increasingly, as the country becomes more unequal, there's poverty even in the suburbs, and so that's that's mm -hmm. a thing to think about too. Uh, Wesley, you were going to talk about your personal experience, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. So um, I also grew up in poverty. So I guess the term you used was rural poor. I lived in the middle of fields somewhere, not not a lot of houses around. Um, but for most of my elementary school, I would have been considered homeless. So I didn't have a house to live in. Me, I'm the youngest of five. So me and my four siblings and my mom um, lived with um, her parents. So it was a multi-generational household because um, we, we had a house when I was younger and then we were displaced um, for financial reasons and uh, couldn't pay the mortgage. So didn't have anywhere to go. So I lived in a multi-generational household um, in the middle of some field somewhere. And uh, we lived on food stamps and SNAP, which is like a card and a certain amount of money and it covers certain things specifically on a list in the gro certain grocery stores. And it was very specific um, to what you could and couldn't get. And my mother worked uh, multiple jobs um and we were still in uh poverty and this imbued like serious financial anxiety for me so poverty has a lot of effects um physically health wise um mentally as well so i live with um some pretty severe financial anxiety in the reality of what my life could continue to be like um, especially in debt from college. And if I, if the society is not crafted in a way where I can get my footing for a future, like it's, it's not quite set up for people coming from poverty or in poverty to be successful at this point. So that's a very scary thing. What, uh, Wesley, what's it like, um, I mean, I, I had a experience of growing up without a lot of money and then going to college, a college that was quite nice, like Paul Smith's and like, what's, what's that been like for you? It's, it's incredibly interesting. So um, in a little bit, I wanted to talk about um, benefit programs from the government. Um, I got social security for growing up because my father had, was forced into retirement during COVID um, on disability. Um, for certain reasons. And so to survive, I, 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 I use that word quite literally, um, middle school and high school, um, the government gave me a small stipend and my mom used that for groceries and I saved part of it aside for college. And now that I'm in college, I'm only here through intense government aid and scholarships. And also uh, VA benefits, because my dad was forced into retirement, disability, he was a veteran. Um, so it was a really big shift. I never thought I'd go to college, let alone a private college, um, especially one in the Adirondack Park. Um, so when I first made the transition to here, 
last fall, I was quite taken back every day. I was like, wow, this is where I live. These are the things I have access to. And it, it was in, incredibly different and displacing. I was disoriented. I, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, that's a really interesting word. Um, my experience going to a, a pretty wealthy private school, on a, I was a full scholarship student. So my dad also disabled veteran from uh, from Vietnam, probably older than your dad, but um, but it's uh, he like we um, it was it was uh, disorienting um, and and it, it was it took me a while to get used to it because um, if I ever really got used to it, I don't know that I ever have. I, I go back to my college reunions now and I'm like, wow, there's some seriously wealthy people here. And I've never, I mean, I went to a college where like people flew their private jets to college and yeah, that kind of place. And it was, um, <clears throat> it was interesting. Uh, it was interesting to see that because I think in the same way that we often hide poverty, we often hide wealth too, right? Behind gated communities and fancy private estates over on Spitfire Lake that you can only see if you have a boat to get over there, right? So that that awareness of those differences is I think really, really interesting to think about. So where do you see this? I, I know just in the interest of time, because I want to be mindful of everyone's time here, but um, I, it's, a, it's a question I've asked you two before, but like, where do you see us going as a society with this? Um, I think, uh... Where I see us going and where I would uh, like us to go as a society in uh, the perspective of like poverty and um, economic inequality are two different things. Um, I think the in the sense of being optimistic and sort of ending this on a high note, um, I think the way that I would I would like this to go in the future um, is more just overall housing security, um, whether that be uh, free housing for unhoused people or um, like uh, the eviction moratorium that we had over the past couple of years um, was incredibly helpful to a lot of people. Um, but just uh, housing security uh, for people. Um, I know, and I've read studies before that show that um, like just having a house um, stable and not having to worry about that drastically, drastically reduces your stress levels um, and uh, you know allows you to focus on other things um, and uh, be more successful at things. Um, you know, when you have a, a roof over your head um, that you know is going to be there, um, uh, you know, in the next week, in the next month, in the next year, um, that's a, a huge asset um, to, to, you know, reducing poverty, I think. So uh, Carson, that's that's really well said. And And as you were talking, I was thinking, um, I, you know, I lead a study abroad to Denmark, and this is one of the reasons why I do it, because in Danish society and, and a lot of Scandinavian societies, they spend money making sure that their people are not desperate. P people in those societies don't exist in a state of precarity or, um, or, or suffering in the same kind of way that we have here. They spend money on it. I mean, their taxes are higher. So, but they, but it's not just housing. It's education. There's no education debt there. It's uh, transportation. They have really a, a great public transportation. It's healthcare. If you're a Danish citizen, you all have access to healthcare. Um, and so, 
it what paradoxically what's interesting about it is that they have found that it's better for business because people can actually live their lives in ways that are flourishing and it it makes the society better all the way around because people aren't desperate all the time and subsequently they're some of the happiest societies in the world when you measure happiness it's not like people are walking around like joyous all the time they're just not miserable they have they have ordinary unhappiness not not um suffering if you want to think about that difference and and a lot of it is around wealth we saw when we're over there like you you have you have a sense in that society that people take care of each other and that that changes the um the social dynamic as well so wesley uh final thought where do you see us going or anything else you want to add i i'd like to put this out to the campus community that i really like our generation the current students that are here and those that have recently been here and the future ones that will come here in that i like our spunk i like the fact that we're not afraid to speak up and notice when things aren't working and try to figure out how to change it i know we've seen that a lot more in recent years with certain social movements that have been going on and our involvement in them. And I think that the only, there can be a lot of talk about, oh, things need to change. And this goes with anything, but I think it's up to us to like actually change them. And that gives me hope for the future. Yeah, that's well said. That's a great, great point to end on. Um, I too have a lot of hope about your generation. Um, and then uh, it's it's uh, your 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 willingness to fight for things um, to make the world better is really admirable. And I think a lot of people realize that too. So so solidarity there.